Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Gist is brought to you by Texture, the mobile app that gives you full access to more than 150 of the world's most popular magazines using your phone or tablet. Read Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more, from the back issues to the one currently on the newsstand. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com gist. And by Betterment, the largest automated investing service, managing billions of dollars for people just like you. Get up to six months of investing free when you go to Betterment.com slash gist. Betterment. Investing made better. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, March 18th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Hillary Clinton has narrowly won the Missouri Democratic primary. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders says he's not going to request a recount. Here is Wolf Blitzer giving you that news over a banner that says breaking news. Finally able to report that uh, Hillary Clinton is the winner of the Missouri primary. She finished 1,531 votes ahead of Senator Bernie Sanders, who now says he will not contest the vote count in Missouri. Breaking the fate of two, precisely two delegates, have been determined. Had Bernie won, he'd have gained two delegates on Hillary. Now Hillary has two delegates on Bernie. Since delegates are awarded proportionally and since states don't count, delegates count. This is breaking news about two out of... 4,765 delegates, or 0.00083% of the delegates out there. Here's how the Washington Post played this before the vote was certified. Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton was ahead by a slim margin in Missouri on Wednesday, but the race remained in limbo, pending word on whether rival Bernie Sanders would demand a recount. Limbo, defined as a border place between heaven and hell, where dwell those souls who, though not condemned to punishment, are deprived of the joy of eternal existence with God in heaven. That is a heavy kind of limbo for two delegates. Here's CNN's Jeff Zelny further expounding upon the implication of this massive 0.00083% of the delegates out there. Well, Wolf, with this Missouri win, the sound from Democrats is even increasing that it's time for this primary fight to wrap up. Wow. That's with two delegates at stake. The pressure is really on to wrap up this race. Those two delegates tip the scale. I mean, it would be just as logical to say with CBS's announcement that person of interest will not be renewed for a sixth season. Clinton supporters are calling on Bernie Sanders to leave the race with yesterday's high restated as 54, not a slightly crisper 53 degrees. The Clinton camp says Bernie Sanders should head out now that Taylor Swift's great Dane has attempted to unsuccessfully lick away the whipped cream. The Democratic establishment is calling on Bernie Sanders to bow out. 
There is one person who understands what's at stake. I'll give you a quote. Whether we win by 200 votes or lose by 500, it's not going to impact the delegate selection. It's going to be evenly divided, said Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. He gets it. I'm beginning to think that the media is not trying to pull a fast one on you, hyping these very, very small results. I kind of think they don't understand, but we do. Today on the show, I talk to John Wertheim about how our brain works on sports, and I spiel for all my brethren, the white men. If you're not a white man, you're allowed to listen in, but you're kind of breaking our rule. But now to sports on the brain. Magazines, they run my life. I put them all in a corner and they look at me and they say, read me, and I don't. Oh, if I only had texture. It's an app that lets you tap into the world's most popular magazines anywhere, anytime, using your smartphone or tablet. So instead of a huge pile, just your smartphone or a little bigger, easier to read on, your tablet. Hundreds of your favorite magazines. You get the back issues. You pick the articles that interest you the most. And also, they're very good at curating to find articles that you care about. And if you want to sample magazines that you didn't even think you could sample, Texture is the place for it. They have so many titles that I'm interested in. But I wanted to put together a themed assortment of magazines. I'm kind of interested. Maybe you listen to the show, you know this. I have eclectic interests. So what I did was I, I selected the ampersand package, which are just magazines with the ampersand in the title. I got Better Homes and Garden, Canadian Health and Lifestyle, Field and Stream, Food and Wine, Road and Track, Sound and Vision. Is that okay? Well, if it's not, they also have OK Magazine and Sports Illustrated, and Condé Nast Traveler, and hundreds and hundreds of magazines that you're going to want to read in a really easy way. Plus, there is a free offer. Texture is offering just listeners a free trial right now. When you go to texture.com slash gist, you'll gain immediate entry into the top magazines, including back issues and bonus video content. So try Texture for free right now by going to texture.com slash gist. If you're a casual sports fan, you probably like things like two teams playing each other, dunks, a Steph Curry three-pointer. But maybe what annoys you is the chatter, the jargon, the coach being on the hot seat, or participation trophy culture, or my rival gets the best out of me, or all this talk of overcoming adversity. A lot of those cliches are baked into the DNA of sports, probably because they're baked into the DNA of our brain. This is your brain on sports, the science of underdogs, the value of rivalry and what we can learn from the t-shirt cannon. Oh, the wisdom of the t-shirt cannon. The authors are L. John Wertheim and Sam Summers. This is the last time I'll speak of Sam until the end of this very segment. Sports Illustrated's John Wertheim is here with me to talk about your brain on sports. Hello, John. Hey, Mike. So, I mean, we could go through these one by one, or let's take a couple of them, but then I want to get to the big picture. But some of these were pretty fascinating, and of course, T-shirt cannon pops out at you. What is it about the T-shirt cannon? The T-shirt cannon is a great source of mystery. It is so <laughs> stupid on its face. Yeah. The T-shirt did are kill. Uh, it did mm. kill Maude Flanders, didn't it? Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Maude. Hey, T-shirt, T-shirt, T-shirt. Fire! Ooh, a bobby pin. Someone stumbled on the ultimate sports promotion. The t-shirt cannon takes advantage of our... We do crazy things when there's this illusion of scarcity. Yes. So 
You know, you go to these playoff games and every seat has a T-shirt. No mm-hmm. one's dancing and showing it around on the Jumbotron. No one's elbowing anyone out to get it. We do only eight or ten of these coming out of the cannon, though. Well, they must be valuable. This is human behavior 101. That's why every marketer knows to call it a limited time offer or right. special collector's edition. When we have this illusion of scarcity, it changes how we value something. The other thing about the T-shirt cannon, these T-shirts are free. Yeah, free is big. And there is all sorts of, uh, you know, I mean, there are all sorts of research saying that we give something away and we have much different attitude towards it. The, the I, famous, you know, the famous Hershey Kiss example. Yes. Hershey's Kisses are a penny. Yes. Lint chocolate is 26 cents. <laughs> Which one would you rather have? The better lint chocolate for 26 cents or the crappy Hershey's Kiss for a penny? It's about 50-50. You lower the price by a cent. So the lint is a quarter, but the kisses are now free. Taste change. Yeah. And then it's something like 80-20. And the same thing is going on here. If they, I always said, if they said to these t-shirt cannons, hey, the pep squad or the Nick City dancers, whatever the you know, whatever these goofy guys, these the fun mitzvah. parade. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're like bar mitzvah motivators. They're going to send these t-shirts out. If you catch one, give the nearest usher a nickel and you get to keep it. People would, would put their hands in their pockets. Yep. Exactly. I don't no, want one of those crappy shirts. And, but this plays out in other areas of sports in two ways. It was uh, a tennis great who was invited to a tournament and offered $100,000 appearance for you. I don't know if I'm going to go. Then they threw in a free flight for her family, maybe value 12000 She took it. And the other thing that I was thinking of is in signing a big free agent, you could offer the guy $5 million, $6 million, $8 million, But then if you say, well, $8 million plus two seats in a luxury box exactly. every right. game, oh, yeah, that's bigger than an extra million. In. You just got T-shirt cannoned, Mike Piazza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, uh, I think I wrote about this in the book when I covered the Portland Trailblazers. These guys are making multiple millions of dollars a year. And Paul Allen had the bright idea during practice, you would have your car waxed and washed for free. <laughs> yeah, this was 25 bucks, And if you had the, the Groupon, you could probably get it for half that. <laughs> this was the greatest deal ever. Everybody wanted to go play for Portland, not because it was a good team or this was good for your career, but you got your Hummer waxed during <laughs> practice. It probably cost $17. So uh, behavioral economics being what it is, there are all sorts of examples about this. But we are very bad at calculating value, assessing value, and distorting value, and that's what the t-shirt canon is all about. Okay, so that is classic psychology explaining irrational behavior. But there's a lot of examples of psychology explaining rational behavior, though when it comes in the realm of sports, we think of it as mystical. Like when Brett Favre had his great game against the Raiders after his dad had died. And I guess because it was in the sports comp, text that we all said, wow, it's so amazing that it was able to triumph over adversity. In our own lives, we do things like that all the time. And you talk a lot about the grieving process and how Favre was really able to do that. We could do things like this all the time, but we take bereavement leaves and we call on the substitute teacher to take our class. And there's a substitute podcaster that would come if heaven forbid there were some trauma. They do not do that with the NFL schedule. We have all sorts of examples. This is such a common trope in sports, right? Are these athletes really have these superhuman powers to compartmentalize? And it turns out the answer is no. The answer is that you and I would unfortunately probably behave similarly when we have grief or we have trauma. It's actually a very short interval when sort of the the neurochemistry changes and we're quote unquote grieving after a few hours. It's remarkably sort of resilience kicks in. Again, the difference is you're a pilot and you suffer a loss like Brett Favre did and you say, I'm going to take a few days. It's almost at the point where if you don't do it, you're seen as, as there's something almost sociopathic about Weird, it. Weird, disrespectful, not honoring exactly. the dead. Yeah. So a- athletes are put in this position where 
they play in the face of trauma. But the truth is you and I could continue with our jobs as well. Do you think you're demystifying things or do you think that the notion of what's mystical about sports is not really honest for most people or has been foisted upon us? I think we have a very strange relationship with sports. And I think we settle for a level of quote unquote mystique that we or, wouldn't stand for if this were our stock portfolio. Yeah, and we could appreciate it even if, as you point out, the quarterback isn't always the most handsome guy. And by the way, this mm. is another thing with a relationship to the statistical revolution in that. In the in the book Moneyball, the scouts talked about the uh, good players having the good face. Yeah, right, right. Right. The handsomeness of a baseball player somehow correlated to how good he was. That's not, not only is that not true, you talk about how quarterbacks aren't really more handsome. And I love the fact that you found a statistical way to rank all quarterbacks by empirical handsomeness based on symmetry, facial symmetry. It, it had echoes of going through the yearbook in eighth grade, though, where, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, essentially we took non-football fans and we took generic, you know, headshots of quarterbacks. So they, these are people who didn't Which know... have been banned by the NFL, by the way. I, the I heard that. Yes. Only for, yes. uh, for Webb's. Uh, <laughs> there's a television broadcast partner, then their carve-outs. But, you know, these are people who didn't know Peyton Manning from Tom Brady, and even if they did, they, they wouldn't be able to tell it from these headshots. And basically, by position, quarterbacks are no better looking than other positions. In fact, they are worse looking, according to our Not our, Brady, our not, Bra- not the bedimpled one. They are, Please. There are carve-outs there, too. Oh my not God. Brady, not James Vanderbeek in, uh, in Varsity <laughs> Blues. But this is another one of these sort of sports tropes and sports myths. And it turns out that in this study we replicated a few times, there was very little support there. But this is similar to we see these studies about CEOs and height and our per, our mixed perceptions of leadership ability and physical attractiveness. And just now in Slate, there was an investigation. Is Donald Trump physically attractive? We think not, but a lot of people think he is. Power, power convinces us that people are attractive. Men, not women. They're going to say hands. Hands. And little attractive. Marco Rubio. No, you know what we found out about quarterbacks, though? Mm-hmm. When we did this go snap judgment, Look at these photos, and what do you think of the, the leadershipness? What do you think of the leadership qualities of these photos we're going to show you? And we compared quarterbacks to other positions. In that one, yeah. quarterbacks were, were the highest. So what we think what's going on, some of this is just halo effect, and we love quarterback X. He's the face of the franchise. He's the, you know, the signal caller. Ergo, he's good-looking as well, which yeah. is sort of classic, classic halo effect. But we also think might be going on is that we're conflating what we think about people as from a leadership standpoint with with good looks and when Aaron Rodgers or whomever was was 10 years old and the coach was saying uh, who wants to play quarterback he looks around hey this guy looks like a leader get behind the center that's probably a better explanation than all the best looking guys just happen to be the ones who uh, throw the football all right so i love you know chapter by chapter that's interesting this is interesting i think there's a big overarching thing which is well why do we like sports as a people, as a culture, and it's very psychological. I've always said that sports do two things. They work on two axes. One is up and down, generationally. It connects the generations. And the other is cross-culturally. I mean, it's such currency to talk to other people. And to me, this very much replicates, and you talk about it in the book, the idea of the in-group and the out-group. And it seems like we just need this idea of having an in-group, having a tribe. You know, hundreds of years ago, we identified with whatever our Scottish tribes or in the savannah. And now we still have the need, the psychological need to identify with tribes, even if they are fictions and based on, you know, the colors, uh, the New England Patriots and whoever they sign next year. You, you know what's a uh, underratedly profound statement 
<laughs> rooting for laundry. Yeah. Um, that that you know, Jerry Seinfeld. The, the, the Seinfeld yeah. line, it gets recycled all the time. You're rooting for clothes when you get right down to it. <laughs> It's the same outfits. It's the same. I'm rooting for an outfit. That's what it's come down to. I want my team's clothes to beat the clothes from the uh, other city. You, that's not so bad either. There's nothing really wrong with it's that. Laundry. We're rooting for. Something. Yeah, you have kids look at a photo. Yeah. There, there are 500 dots here. You know, what did you say? Up oh, 499. You're an underestimator. What did you say? 506 overestimator. The flimsiest criteria. They put the overestimators in one corner, the underestimators in the other, and the loyalty that they showed to the group. It changed the way they looked at moral situations. They were willing that they were literally willing to fight the other side over uh, disputes. It doesn't take much to feel like we're part of a tribe. I think sports gives us this outlet for all sorts of behavior that we're not allowed to display anywhere else. And so, again, part of this book was: is it all really so crazy? What's myth? What's reality? But also, what what's really underpinning all this? But at the same time, you could argue that sure, that's the escape valve idea. But does it really sublimate our darkest impulses? Because there are plenty of examples where, but for sports, maybe we'd be better off and suicide rates after the World Cup and just real ugliness that's based on me rooting for my laundry instead of you rooting for your laundry. I think we have this within ourselves to be tribal. And yet the tribalness of sports often is not a societal good. It's uh, because there is this tribalness, you know, the ugliness comes out. Yeah, absolutely. I, what interested me was the the bit on competition and rivalry. Yeah. So we had a whole chapter on that, and it's one of so these locker room cliches. It's a very tennis-intensive chapter, and people should know that you're a tennis That's expert. That's right, yeah, yes. yeah. No, but we, we had this chapter on rivalry, and we hear it all. Competition brings out the best. Locker room, top five locker room cliche. Yeah. There's a lot to it, though. It really is true. Empirically, it's true. Even physiologically, when we feel real competition, a rivalry situation our neurochemistry is different. Our testosterone levels are different. I mean, think about that. When the Yankees play the Red Sox, the players' testosterone levels are, you know, considerably different than when the Yankees play, whatever, the Kansas City Royals. That had a lot of applications to general human behavior. We really do. We take the SAT in a room by ourselves. We take that same test in a room with other kids, and we'll score better when there are other kids in the room. We go for a run on the treadmill. We'll run the Central Park loop with someone. We don't even, it doesn't have to be a rival, just another human being running alongside us, and it will impact our running times. Rivalry, we can convince ourselves that it's a rivalry event, not just sports event, but a rivalry trade against another company, rivalry on eBay when we're bidding. Yes. It really changes our human behavior. This is your brain on sports, the science of underdogs, the value of rivalry, and what we can learn from the T-shirt canon, Sam Summers, and, as you were hearing, L. John Wertheim. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's time to take control of your financial future, and Betterment is the way to do that. It's the largest independent automated investing service. It has over 145,000 customers. $3.8 billion is being managed now by Betterment because it's never too late to save for retirement for whatever your financial goals are. And Betterment has changed the whole industry because it makes investing easier and at a lower cost. So not only are you paying less money to your financial advisors, you could come in a lot of financial advisors will say, well, you have to come in with a certain amount of money. But the amount of money you have is the amount of money you have. Betterment will help you grow it, but there's no limit to how much you start off with when considering Betterment. And here's an offer. You get up to six months of automated investing free. And more information when you go to betterment.com slash gist. That's betterment.com slash gist. Betterment investing made better. And now the spiel. 
a gathering of my tribe. Hillary Clinton is moving ever closer to the Democratic nomination, and in the general, should she face Donald Trump, she would have a very strong shot at winning the presidency. Why? Well, think about Trump. I mean, it's hard to imagine him getting the votes of black people, of Hispanic people, or of women. Now, women have been voting Democrat in presidential elections since 1988. The gender gap, which is that phrase they use for the difference between the women's vote for the winning candidate and the male vote for the winning candidate, it's been averaging 9% over the last five elections. So women have been voting for Democrats a lot more. And then when it comes to Trump, a mega man, an uber man, what Annie Wilkes of misery might call Mr. Man, Trump is doomed. According to a new poll from Reuters Ipsos, half of U.S. women say they have a, quote, very unfavorable view of the front runner that was at a fairly high 40% in October. This poll just came out and it was conducted in the beginning 15 days of March. Women hate Donald Trump. There's a group I haven't mentioned, although the New York Times does mention this group today on the front page in a headline. As Hillary Clinton sweeps states, one group resists, white men. Why, white men? Why? What do you think? How do you make up your minds? Who can explain you? Who can white man explain you? And then an idea hit me with, with clarity, an idea I instantly knew to be brilliant, as only a white man can. I will speak to the white man. I have studied their ways. I have lived among them. To some extent, they call me their own. So let me speak to you now, white men. Let us put aside all the women, all the differently hued people. What to do, what to do. Usually when you want to do this, you talk in a dog whistle. But I know a more efficient way that won't blow out your iPod speakers. Ladies and gentlemen, Canadian rock gods rush. but it seems that only white dudes like the Canadian rock gods rush. Anyway, we white men, we know this. We are a declining breed in number, in influence, in prestige. We have less than we used to have. Yeah, more than any other ethnic group or gender, but less than before. And we know this. I mean, is it our fault that we're good students of history? We watch the History Channel. We don't watch the Bravo Channel or the Learning Channel. And by the way, the History Channel might not be all World War II documentaries, but it's still some World War II documentaries. I don't think there's much learning going on on the Learning Channel. What I'm saying is this Manly Channel, a little more honest. You know what I mean? So what do we as white men really have left? besides 472 out of 500 slots as CEOs of the Fortune 500, besides every roster spot in the NBA, NHL, NFL, and Major League Baseball, besides 80 out of 100 seats in the Senate and 351 out of 435 seats in the House of Representatives and 90 out of 170 judges of the Federal Court of Appeals, oh, and six out of nine Supreme Court slots. Oh, wait, no, no, that's wrong. Five out of eight Supreme Court slots because heart attack, and you know, between 70 and 89% of heart attacks affect men. By the way, when I was researching this, how much more prevalent heart attacks are in men than women, it took me pages to get to the answer. The internet is just full of articles pointing out that heart disease is the number one killer of women too. Heart disease, thought of as a man's disease, affects women too. There was this headline, is medicine's gender bias killing young women? I mean, maybe yes, maybe no, but you know what's killing men? Heart attacks are killing men. 
Heart attacks. Give us our heart attacks. We cling to them. Actually, we clutch them, really. But, you know, all those stats about the senators and the CEOs, that's not us. I mean, the richest, most well-off people are men, sure. But when you think about it, most of them have a wife, right? And the wives aren't doing so bad. Okay, Congressman Mark Sanford, his wife, his ex-wife, she, she wasn't having a good time of it. But here's my point, fellas. Fellas, we got it rough. No one likes to give up what they had, and what we had is being taken away from us. We're being told that we're not good enough. We're being told that nothing's good enough, nothing we do. Life isn't safe enough. You better wear a different kind of helmet. You better sit out a few plays. Everything would be better if Beyonce did it. Oh, you say Beyonce wrong. I think of Fiddler on the Roof sometimes, that song. Men, still men, right? Feed a wife and children. I mean, yeah, women can work, and that's great, but have you heard about the mommy wars? It's that some women make other women feel bad because some women choose to work and some women choose not to. You know what they call the daddy wars? Actual wars, which are still mostly fought by men. You're welcome. Or what's the version of you're welcome these days? That's right, I'm sorry. Feed a wife and children, say his daily prayers. Okay, maybe not prayers. But you got to keep an eye on your fantasy football waiver wire. Am I right? The Papas, except we don't. We don't anymore. Tradition. So what we want is the final word in that one sanctuary where we can't be disturbed. No, not the bathroom, the voting booth. And Hillary. Oh, Hillary. Okay, I get it. The voice. You're going to bring up the voice. Are you being sexist for not liking her voice? Yes, you are being sexist. But you know what? It's America, and it's still legal to be sexist and to vote sexist. I know that. I'm not trying to convince you to love Hillary, to all of a sudden want to hear a haranguing lecture every day. By the way, is it sexist to call it a haranguing lecture? Damn right it's sexist. It doesn't mean that hearing that feels fun. Trump's fun. Trump's a clown. Clowns are funny. He's a stooge. But when people call him a stooge, they say it like it's an insult. We like the stooges, both the kind who backed up Iggy Pop and the kind who backed up Mo. I'm not asking you to like Hillary, but I want you to think about Donald Trump. Think about who this guy really is. Is he the guy who sets things right, who makes your world better? Or is he the a-hole boss? Is he your blowhard neighbor? All this time, when we as men have been losing, what's he been doing? He's been gaining with god-awful gilded buildings that he won't let us in. You know who was the first winner of Celebrity Apprentice? Piers Morgan. You know who was the last winner? Lisa Gibbons. Yeah, there were some country stars in between, but one year, poker player Annie Duke was all set to win, and he ripped it away from her, and he gave it to Joan Rivers. Guys, get wise. Donald Trump might not be your loathed fifth grade teacher lecturing you, and he's definitely not the sniveling rule-enforcing principal. That's, that's Ted Cruz. He's the jerk in the rival frat house whose collar is perma-popped. He's Ted Knight in Caddyshack. In this slobs versus snobs script, he is definitely the snob. You know what? He's not even Ted Knight. He's not Judge Smalls. He's Spalding. Oh boy, Ploy. Where did you just come from, a scotch ass? Eat it, Spalding. My, what a nice looking young man. Uh, You're from Bushwood, aren't you? Yes, ma'am. He's not a member, Grandma. He's a caddy. Donald Trump is every bit the loathsome rich brat archetype. He just has a Queen's accent. He doesn't let you in his building. He won't let you in his club. And he'd be the first to point out that you're just a caddy. 
Now he wants your vote. And it's up to you, my man, my white man, to tell him you'll get nothing and like it. I want a hamburger. No, a cheeseburger. I want a hot dog. I want a milkshake. I want potatoes. You'll chips. get nothing and like it. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, just producer, will not contest the decision to say that the weather was overcast when it was really more partly cloudy. Though it is his right as executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai has decided against contesting Baskin-Robbins' decision to compose their rainbow sprinkles with unequal parts red, blue, yellow, and green sprinkles. Chief Content Officer of the Panoply Network, Andy Bowers, could, under state law, ask for not only a sprinkle recount, but could contest Steve Lichtai's insistence on calling them sprinkles, yet he chooses not to issue a challenge. The gist, a veritable t-shirt cannon for the ears. Umpuru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.